So it's really, I think, always analyzing the market, analyzing what's happening when you see a gap or a need to really create a minimum viable product and see how the client reacts or how candidates react to whatever you're, you're creating. Hello and welcome to the Resilient Recruiter podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm very happy to be joined today by Lauren Steibing. Lauren is the founder of LS International, based in Barcelona. She's built a highly successful executive search firm with clients around the world in the CPG and FMCG uh, industry. She recruits for companies like Mattel, Revlon, Danone, Puma, Carlsberg, to name but a few. I have known Lauren since 2015, and I'm so impressed with what she's accomplished. Um, This is her second appearance on the show, actually. The last time was pre-pandemic. It was February 2020, exactly two years ago. So if you've not heard that interview, definitely check it out. That episode was one of her most popular. It was called How to Build Your Personal Brand as a Recruiter. And uh, hard to believe that was episode number 10. We've now obviously over 100 episodes. So that was a long time ago. And so because of the popularity of that episode, I was really keen to Lauren to bring Lauren back for round two. Lauren is actually a podcaster herself. She's done over 60 episodes of her own show, the LS International Career Success Podcast. And she's also a mentor within our Inner Circle Coaching Program, where she shares her insights on digital marketing, personal branding, and some of the other secrets to her success. Her talks are extremely popular with our members because she's just such a genuine person, very transparent about her mistakes and the lessons she's learned, and just brings that humility, even though she's one of the most driven and accomplished people that I know. So Lauren, welcome. Thank you so much for coming back. Thank you, Mark. It's good good to be back. And I, I think you're probably an expert now, having done number 10, now over 100. Uh, it probably, I know these things get easier and easier. So congrats for sticking with it as well. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, the funny thing is, I'm going to, uh, I'd love to know how you feel on this because people might not realize that I still get nervous right before recording this show. <laughs> not with you. I'm very comfortable because we've known each other for uh, a long time and we keep in touch. But, you know, I get right before, if it's someone I don't know. Yeah. And once once the conversation flows, I relax. And that's one of the reasons I kind of script that opening yeah. part. The rest of the conversation is not scripted. It's just kind of free, free flowing. But I find that prompt just gives me the security or peace of mind. How about you? Do you do you ever get nervous? Yeah, of course, of course. And it's it's also um, you know some of the guests that I have. I've been trying to get them on the podcast for years. So we were doing um, at one point we were doing them bi monthly then monthly, and now since we do a lot of other types of content, I'm doing them um, only every other month. Um, But some of these guests, so I'm only doing six a year now, but some of them I've been targeting for years. So, of course, if I finally get the sign up and then maybe they cancel and the rebookings and everything, then it's finally the day. Yeah, it is a bit (laughs) nerve-wracking. So, Lauren, what I would love to know, so like two years ago was last time we did this, and it was immediately before things kicked off and you were like really riding a wave of like success. You were totally smashing it. You were closing in on seven figures. You were starting to grow a team. You were winning retainers with, you know, blue chip multinationals. And then the next month, like the whole world turned upside down. Could you kind of like share the, the, the milestones, like what's been happening in the last two years at LS International? Sure, sure. So yeah, I think um, in March 2020, a lot of things changed. So our business, almost all of it went on hold from March to at least June, July time. Um, And of course, you're trying to think of as a business owner, what's the best way to get business back? Is there any business? Then you realize there wasn't any business because a lot of times you think, oh, the competitors are, (laughs) they're getting all of the business. And then you realize, no, there wasn't really any business happening at that stage Um, within those industries. So I think in consumer goods and retail, um, luckily they sell in supermarkets. So when everything shut down for COVID, they were still selling, but it wasn't a time where they were going to hire new people. They just wanted to keep things settled how they were and keep business running um, during that time. So um, basically we did, of course, have some business each month after that, but just not the wave that we were having previously. Um, So I 
really thought, okay, if we can't sell this service, which was the only service that we had, um, how can we offer other services to our clients? And just started brainstorming on how to best use this time with my team. I didn't want to furlough anyone um, because I felt like there's always things to do. <laughs> In a small business, there are always things to do. So let's use their um, creativity, let's use their skill set, and let's all brainstorm together of how we can offer other services to our clients um, while we ride out this wave for. I didn't really know how long it was going to be. And I think we can all agree it was longer than what we assumed. Um, I can say, so I can go into a bit of detail into like what that looked like. Um, but I would say as of the end of last year, as of Q4 um, 2021, um, things are back at where they were in 2019. So overall, I would say um, a small period of not so good times <laughs> and a small period of uh, negative uh, yeah, negative growth or no growth um, to now being back to, to 2019 levels is from a search Brilliant. perspective. Okay, amazing. So yeah, I'd love to hear your um, solutions, the creative ideas you guys came up with in order to, um, you know, recover and, and uh, still do business when there was no searches available. Um, before we do though, like, how, do you remember how you felt like when all of a sudden you were used to this regular business and it just completely dried up? Like what was going through your mind at that stage? A bit of panic. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, the thing is that in, in retained like high level executive search that we do, it's not that you have a big volume. So there could be months where you don't get any new business um, and the, the, the time it takes for the, let's say we have a very fast delivery um, but then, of course, the client has multiple interviews, up to six, seven interviews, all these things. So it can take time. And it's not that every single month, every consultant gets a new role. Um, so in the beginning, I would say March, April, it was kind of OK. I wasn't really in a panic stage. It was more by the time summer hit. No, I would probably say in September, November time was the most stressful because, yeah, when summer hit, summer's always a little bit of a downtime anyway. And then Q4 is always an explosion. So when we got to Q4 2020 and nothing was happening, I think that's when kind of panic, <laughs> a bit of panic set in. And, um, yeah, I mean, there wasn't any, I would say, from a cash flow perspective, we had cash flow from 2019. So it wasn't a panic of, um, hey, are, are we going to be able to pay the bills? Are we going to be able to pay the employees? That that was fine. It was more, it was my first downturn in recruitment, which now I know that there, there are downturns in recruitment. But I was thinking, is the recruitment business gone? Will it ever come back? Like that was really my thought process of like, hey, maybe I need to change industries and do something else. Because yeah, maybe recruitment is never coming back. That's really what I what I thought. Wow. And uh, well, first of all, congratulations on, you know, surviving your first downturn and joining the club. Welcome. Um, it's uh, there's a couple of things you said that I want to pick up on. But, you know, for sure, once you've been through that, it really will you will find it really gives you much more confidence and certainty about the future because, you know, like, well, we can get through that. And we're still okay. So, you know, it really does. I think you're not a really seasoned business owner until you've experienced something like that. And uh, so now, you know, you're going to be the one who's mentoring others whose first crisis is, is coming along. Employees, potentially like recruiters who've never seen, you know, if they join in a, in a boom market where there's tons of demand like there is right now. And that's their first experience of recruitment, and they just assume like this is what it's always like. Then you'll be able to coach them in the future when the the next next time round. We um, so I was a recruiter during the, the during the dot com bubble bursting. That wasn't a major thing, but I did have I'd made like seven or eight placements with this one, uh, you know, online business who and didn't get their next round of funding, and they okay. Uh, and they went under and they didn't pay their bills. So that wasn't fun. Okay. Uh, and then I started my business 10 days before September 11th, which okay. 
then all of a sudden, you know, was super scary for so many reasons. Um, but then 2008 was when that was the worst. That was like, I almost went under and I basically didn't pay myself for a long time okay. and survived on credit cards, which is not good because <laughs> then that's a, a snowball, which took a few years to, uh, you know, climb back out of. So this time around, it was like definitely February and March. I was like, oh, this isn't good. But um, I was able to stay a lot more uh, calm, yeah. not to panic and to make good decisions that uh, I think were ultimately uh, beneficial. So that was a long, uh, <laughs> too much of me talking, Lauren. So no coming problem. back to you, coming back to you, um, you mentioned that you and the team really started getting creative and thinking about, okay, what else could we do here in order to drive revenue? Um, so what did you come up with? Yeah, so I think um, just a kind of precursor to that, as I was building Ellis International, um, of course, when anyone starts their own business, a new business, they have ideas of how they want to do it differently. And I definitely had those ideas. But I think, you know, ideas need to be validated. So from the very beginning, I was testing and learning, trying new things. You met me quite early on. I think I was only five months into the business. It was your idea. Lauren, give the podcast a try. Okay. There. So I want to say like through the past six and a half years, almost seven years that we've started, it's always been my way of working, how I like to work and what I think works is really this kind of test and learn, um, always having innovative ideas. How can we improve this, improve that? And so for me, when the business just stopped, that's what I went back to. So it's really, I think, always analyzing the market, analyzing what's happening when you see a gap or a need to really create a minimum viable product and see how the client reacts or how candidates react to whatever you're, you're creating. So I had basically, uh, during these years, um, was hired a lot to bring in diverse talent, specifically gender diverse talent, which I think in most companies was the first real focus in diversity over the past 10 years. So I really saw an area of talent development where, you know, female talent, they had a lot of great female talent at lower levels, but not really at more senior levels. And it was saying, okay, how can we help these female talent? What can we provide to them to really get them to the next level, to get them to be visible within their organization, to have their challenges heard, to make sure the culture and the environment is a good working environment for them, et cetera, et cetera. So that they don't, I was actually trying to put myself a little bit out of business in search not to have me bring in a female at senior director or vice president level, but to grow their own talent, which is what they were doing usually, but not really focusing on gender diverse talent. So yes, I thought of a program, a talent development program um, to really give support to female talents within organizations by providing them senior executive mentorship um, from my network. Um, and as we started the, the program, to, to be honest, there was no program created. That's the minimum viable product. There was no program created. We made a couple of documents, a couple of um, basically marketing material, a brochure, a landing page on a website, and did a video, well, first a sales letter and a video sales letter, which I can go into a bit more detail about later and said, let's see if this resonates with people, if this resonates with companies, with mentors, with mentees, if people would be interested in this. Um, and our goal was to, I also partnered with an individual um, here in Barcelona as well that has learning and development experience so that when they did say go, we had the capabilities to actually build the program um, as of course my background is all in, in executive search. So our goal was to sell um, 10 programs in year one. We ended up selling at the end of year one, 27, almost 30 programs. Wow. And we sold 17 Amazing. of them in January. So once our goal was 10 and we sold 17, we were like, okay, product is validated. Let's go. Let's build everything that we need around that. 
Um, and that's, for me, really fun as well. I'm a type of person that really loves to do these things. Um, and I think it's great to always be looking at these types of solutions for clients and bringing in, I would say, yeah, new and innovative ideas and solutions for them that can really help their organization as well. Amazing. What's I mean, there's so many cool things about that, Lauren, but it seems to me a lot of people get, if you've been doing this business for a while, you can kind of get stale and go into, uh, you know, if you're not trying new things and being creative and really pushing yourself outside your comfort zone, there's a real risk of burning out just because it's, it is a, a hard job. It's, um, it's stressful but it's also monotonous and kind of at the same time. So it's stressful yeah. and kind of can be monotonous. So then that's what leads to burnout. But you're in your business, you're always trying new things and, you know, it's, it makes it interesting and exciting, I think as well. Um, so could you, for people who aren't from a software background, can you explain what an MVP is? Yeah. So a minimum viable product, it's just basically creating the minimum product to then validate your idea. So it doesn't need to be, let me give you an example that are that is a technology example, um, and then I can relate it to my example, but a technology example is saying that, yes, with our um, machine learning tool, you can do X. Um, the point is they first, instead of creating the entire tool, they first do it manually to see if people would buy it, and then they build the tool. And it was the same with this. So instead of creating an entire talent development program before knowing if anyone's going to buy it, um, just have an outline, see if people resonate with the idea. Then when you sell it, you actually create everything. So it's a, let's say, cheaper way um, to do things and not to waste your time building a bunch of programs, services, products that in the end people don't want, actually. Beautiful. I think that's so and such an important concept because w one thing that I find stops people, and I put my hand up here, I'm one of those people, is paralysis by analysis and yeah. like feeling like I spend so long thinking about an idea and planning it and so on that it takes me a long time to get it actually launched. And then if it's not what the market wants, then you've that all that time is wasted and you could have been on to your third or fourth idea by that stage. That's one of the good things about Leanne and my team is a real, like she gets shit done and makes <laughs> things happen. And so it's a good, um, it's a good collaboration because, uh, yeah, she overrides that tendency that I have, which is procrastinate through perfectionism. Um, so I love the MVP concept. Um, and how did, and you found an L&D professional to collaborate yes. with. Yeah. Um, I love the thought process behind it of um, providing mentoring and development for uh, female executives to help them progress and create more diversity uh, in senior positions within your clients. It's such a fantastic idea. I did a poll on LinkedIn recently to find out what fee percentage recruiters charge. And it confirmed what I'd learned from speaking with so many recruiters every day. The majority of recruiters are undervaluing their service and cutting their fees to become more competitive. Listen, if you want to protect your cash flow and build reserves to protect your business against whatever might happen in the future, you need to be earning more for each placement, not less. The challenge, of course, is how to increase your fees and still be competitive iIntro has helped hundreds of recruiters to make small but critical adjustments to the way they pitch and win business so they can win more clients who are also willing to pay higher fees. For example, one of their clients typically earned £5,000 per placement. But just a few weeks after working with iIntro, she won a new piece of business on a retainer, so in other words, she got a deposit, and her fee was an incredible £20,000, four times her average. If you'd like to see how iIntro can help you to grow your recruitment business and increase your average fees, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained and book a free consultation. There's no obligation. And if you mention that you're a listener of the Resilient Recruiter podcast, iIntro have pledged to offer you a 25% discount off any of their services. 
Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to get started. What happened from there? Yeah, so the the program, we started the program off. We built the program. Um, I, to, to be honest, the program went super, super well. I didn't expect because it's a first program. I've never done this. The, the consultant that I worked with has never done it. Um, we didn't. There was a 100% match. So all of the mentees and mentors stayed together. Um, so that was great. Wow. We, we thought maybe in the beginning there would be a match there. Um, we use a couple of tools to do the matching as well, a psychometric assessment that supports not just having interviews, but also using the data to do the matching as well. Um, and yeah, everyone through the program, super positive mentees. We have some mentee testimonials, mentor testimonials on our website in case anyone's interested. But um, yeah, they really got a lot out of it. Um, built confidence, were able to really see a different perspective, a different way of learning. Um, so yeah, I think that it's gone really well. I will say this, that um, yeah, the expectation was 10. We did 27. That doesn't mean that next year the expectation is 100. It's still a small business. We're still new in talent development. So we do want to scale this and we, we see the need. Um, but as well, I would say to everyone, like, don't set your expectations too high. Even if things do go really well in year one, that's fantastic. Just keep building on it, keep building on it. And I'm very much into building something solid. I don't think it's good either to just keep releasing all these different kinds of um, services, have them, then don't have them. And you know, you also have to keep that in mind for your brand of what you're releasing. If you're gonna go for it, you know, put the investment in it and and go for it for the, for the mid to long term, I would say. Mm, absolutely. No, that makes sense. What is amazing about this is that not only did you create a business which wasn't reliant on the hiring cycles in a business, right? And which which search is obviously yeah. if a if a department like a marketing department or a, a business is expanding into new uh, areas, then there's going to be hiring demand. But in a downturn or like the pandemic, then that was flat, if not um, shrinking. And so you almost have two service lines which are very complementary, but they're not um, driven by the same yes uh, by the same economic forces. So they're uncoupled, I think is the word I'm looking for. So you could have one that's up and the other one's down or vice versa. Um, it's just, it's really, really smart, Lauren. I, I, I love what you're doing there. Yeah, um, and um, I think from the perspective, I mean, something that all recruiters do really well is build networks. And I think it's also important for everyone to like step back, look at their network and think about creating partnerships. So usually, you know, a lot of people that can also help to build these services. I didn't have the expertise but you need to keep an eye out for people that do and then connect the two. And I think even after, you know, you build these partnerships, I'm very much into, you know, also creating partnerships with other recruiters. If I have an amazing service and they want to offer my service, obviously not the search service, but the mentoring service to their clients. Um, you know, I think that's how the industry will grow in the future is more collaboration, more partnerships. And whether it be the ones that you have on your own or partnerships amongst recruiters as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's also important to keep in mind how you can build partnerships, build these services, but also within within your own industry. That's a fantastic idea to partner with other recruiters who because you've already gone through the painful and difficult process of building this this program um, which, you know, took months and months and a lot of investment. Um, so that would be cool if other recruiters were able to offer that mentoring service. Um, so if you're interested in that, definitely reach out to, to Lauren, uh, check out her, her LinkedIn uh, profile and reach out to her. Um, so, okay. So that was a, a major um initiative. You you also mentioned a few things that you kind of skimmed over I'd like to go back to. One was the marketing behind it that you put together. You mentioned video sales letter, uh, stuff like that. Could you explain that a little more detail? Yes. So um, first, you have to write the sales letter. Um, we actually 
partnered or hired, I would say partnered or hired with a consultancy firm that taught us and my team how to do that. Um, but basically, um, it's a way of marketing that you use through building, through teaching, if we can say that. So all of these how-to videos, you basically sell through teaching, if we can say that. So first, you write the sales letter in a document, then the video sales letter is just doing the video of the actual sales letter. Um, and basically, I did a recording. I can send you some examples I, through that the others can see, but basically, I did that recording. I put it on a landing page, and instead of me physically having all of these calls, um, the video sales letter is supposed to sell for you or at least sell and do part of the process for you. Um, so a lot of people can do it in a webinar format. It doesn't need to be recorded. It can be a webinar format as well. Um, and basically we did that recording and then did outreach via email. So we emailed this to our network, also built our network um, more within talent development or diversity and inclusion, and then shared this how-to video with them. All right. There's a lot to unpack there because it's um, so first of all, you said selling through teaching. I think that's a really key concept that people need to understand that um it's a fantastic way of getting people into your funnel is you have to offer something of value that they're going to learn something, not just invite them to a sales pitch, right? Yes. Because then people are not are less interested in that. But if you can share like something on how to um, increase diversity and gender balance in your senior leadership team, for example, that is a topic people are interested in. And that's going to get people to your whether it's a webinar or a video presentation, because there's a clear benefit or something valuable they will learn by watching that, right? And yes. then it gives you the opportunity to uh, explain how your service would enable them to achieve that more easily than they could just do it on their by themselves, right? So it's Correct. really clever. Um, I also think, you know, the writing sales letters is kind of a lost art. It's not fashionable. And when I, I don't, I've, I don't think I've ever told you this before I became a recruiter, I thought I wanted to be a copywriter. Okay. Um, and I, I wasn't good enough and I couldn't, uh, create to a deadline. That was the, that was the, um, the hard part, but I actually studied direct response copywriting okay. and I went around to direct marketing agencies here in Scotland and, you know, said, I want to be a copywriter. And they said, okay, here's a brief, go and see what you can come up with, come back on Monday with your, uh, with your writing. And that's when I realized I couldn't do it. But, um, but you, you know, writing a sales letter is such a good discipline for selling anything Yeah, because you need to come up with like a headline, which is like, what's going to hook people and yeah. get their attention. You need to really think about what are the problems that this service solves? What are the benefits that we deliver? How can we prove or what evidence can we, you know, share that, proves that this benefit is going to be realized by the client and, you know, what would be a, a close or a call to action that yeah. progresses them to the next step. So if you think of the structure of a sales letter, I don't even know if people know what we mean by a sales letter, but imagine you were going to sell your service by sending someone a letter in the mail, which is, you know, a lot of services used to be sold that way yeah. in products. Um and if you had to do it that way, what would you write in that letter? And and I used to study these like 10 or 20 page sales letters that like used to be used to sell financial newsletters yeah. and other different products, um, which was really useful for learning how to sell and how to market. Definitely. So the video sales letter <clears throat> seems like it's the kind of next generation of that. People don't send these 20 page letters anymore. At least I don't think they do. But- <laughs> If you do a video, it's a lot, people don't want to scroll as well. They don't want to scroll for like fifth, a long, long, you know, uh, web page, but they might watch that same information in the form of a video, right? Yeah. But what I would say, yes, no, definitely. It comes from exactly what you studied. So this is very old. Not, nothing that I'm saying the sales letter isn't anything new. Um, it's basically, yes, the video sales letter is the new age. Um, I never studied any marketing at all. I had never heard of this concept. And when we were going through this training, 
it seemed all very odd to me. And especially for me, who I'm selling on the phone. So I sell through my verbal communication. Yes. I, I like reading. I like reading books. But I was thinking a letter of 10 pages, like who would read that? And they said, no, if you're interested, you will read it. And I was like, I'll give it a try. But it's true. If you find the right client, and of course, it needs to be well written. But if you've hit a nerve with them and they need help in that area, they will read a 20 page document. So of course it needs to have some visuals and it can't just be all text, but like you can see some of these internet marketeers, they just post these very long posts. That's small sales letters or even a whole sales letter there. So it comes from the same concept. And the reason why the video is created is yes, this day and age people, some people don't like to read, so you put it in video and you put it on a page. So it's always good to have the text and the video. That's the ideal because some people don't want the video. Some people want the text. So if you think about it, if you have like uh, just audio format, video and text, probably that's a, a good idea. But um, yeah, some people prefer to read and they want to see it on screen. So you, that's what a lot of the landing pages with text they're actually just sales letters. Got it. Well, what I think the reason you've made this work is because if it was purely sort of sales copy, that's a lot to, yeah. for people to read. But the fact that you're also teaching at the same time and revealing like how you've been able to get a particular result or like you're educating yeah. at the same time, then that will get somebody to to read that information as well. So it's brilliant. We should probably explain landing pages in case people don't know what that is. What's your understanding of a landing page? Yes. So a landing page, um, basically, well, there are various different types of landing pages, but my understanding of a landing page is that it's a page where people go to and it should provide them to an action that you're looking for. So the landing page is to sell and then provide the action, whether that action be to actually buy something on your website, or if the action in most cases with recruiters is to actually book a call. And I think the same with you, Mark. So, you know, your call to action is to book a call um, and it's the same for us. So the landing page as well, this is where I don't have it in completely clear, but I know that the landing page that we were putting people to with this sales letter and video sales letter, you don't want them to be able to go anywhere else. So you want them to land on the page and the only thing they can do is go go through your funnel. Um, whereas if you go to a website, technically the home page of a website, I think is also a landing page, but considering that they can click other things, I'm not exactly sure. So I would say the yeah, main no, goal of the landing page, I think is that they can't go anywhere else and they complete your funnel. And the others is just a website, I guess. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, an example of a landing page would be when you go to register for a webinar, like if you come to one of my webinars or, you know, there's lots of webinars happening more and more these days. When you go to that registration page, the only thing you can do is sign up. Like the only decision is, do I want to sign up for the webinar or not? There's not all kinds of other links going to different services and different products, that is the only thing that's that page is about. And so if you send someone to your homepage to find out about how to work with you, then um, there there's so many navigational options there that they're not necessarily going to take your uh, like your next action that you want them to take to book a call or what have you. So you're just directing people to a very specific page within your website, which is stripped back of all the other content. And it's really just all about that one thing that you want them to do. And if you create a minimum viable product, so imagine that Ellis International didn't even exist and I wanted to create it. What I would do now, which is what I didn't do in the past, is you just create one landing page and the only thing they can do is book a call. Like there's really no reason to create 25, 30 pages about all these things when you're a new business. It doesn't make sense. You just create one landing page to actually do what you're gonna do. And then as you start billing, as you start growing your business, you can add these other pages. And I think even more, especially in recruitment, everyone knows what recruitment is. It's not like a new 
software as a service. It's not a new product. You don't really need a big website. You can just have one landing page that allows people, the client to book a call or candidates to book a call. That's good advice. Absolutely. If you're starting a new business, like people, you have to have a website. Yeah, you have to have a website. Just make it yeah, just make one it page. one page. Yeah. Good, good. Absolutely. Before I go to my next question, I'd like to share one of the keys to my success in recruitment and in business. You may have noticed that a lot of the people I interview on this show have a coach. That's not a coincidence. Most high achievers have a coach, including me. I've worked with various coaches over the last 20 years, and it's been a huge factor in my own personal and business growth. Here's why. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees, and it really helps to take a step back and look at how you can improve the business and get a fresh outside perspective from someone who's bringing new ideas and insights to the table. Plus, as a business owner, who is holding you accountable and helping you stay on track? So I want to encourage you, if you're not already working with a coach, get one. It doesn't have to be me. There are plenty of amazing coaches out there. Just find someone who you believe will add measurable value to your business and can help you get to the next level. If you do want to explore a coaching relationship with me, then you're welcome to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. This is not a sales call. My number one objective is to help you to get clear on your goals, identify the roadblocks that are holding you back, and create a strategic plan to increase your billings and grow your business. I promise you'll leave our session feeling focused, re-energized, and excited to take your business to the next level. You can apply at www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. So you've done a phenomenal job, Lauren, of like really honing your marketing. You've like the website's fantastic. You've got these landing pages. You've got the, the um, your salesmanship in those sales pages are, are is excellent and the videos are really good. Um, so looking back over that whole process, what were the kind of main learnings for you? Good question. Um, yeah, I think that I would say I, I was quite hesitant to like, you know, getting yourself out of your comfort zone. And then I have to do this completely new thing. I'm, I'm, I don't really love writing at all. As most recruiters, I don't think we do. Maybe some do, but I love being on the phone. I love communicating. So I think the whole process of writing, um, then recording, I hadn't done, like, even though I'd done the podcast, this was a whole nother thing because I needed to be on video. It was a complete monologue. There was no one to communicate with. It was just me. Um, that was really hard, but I don't regret it at all. I think like pushing myself out of my comfort zone, it was super uncomfortable, um, but it really allows you. And especially it was at a really interesting point because it was during COVID and now everything's on video. So I kind of had this like speed course of how to kind of convince people via video, which I wouldn't have had if I didn't do that whole process. So I think, yeah, the biggest learning is, yeah, things are always going to feel uncomfortable. Um, and I do push myself out of my comfort zone. Like I had the idea to do this new program and to create it and to build something. Um, but sometimes there are small pieces along the way that are really uncomfortable that sometimes you're, you, I feel like if that's when, if you start analyzing too much, you'll say, no, let's not do this. Like, let's just put this on hold. I, I'm not interested. So I would say the biggest learning is just like to keep going, know that it's going to be uncomfortable and also pay close attention to what the market is saying. So I'll give you an example. When we launched, it was a female mentorship program. Um, I realized probably after about a month that a lot of the big companies wouldn't buy it only for females. So because the market had shifted and it was all about inclusivity, offering something only to females was not inclusive to everyone. Um, so I think it's also don't be too stuck on your original idea. It's very important to make sure you're listening to the market. That's what the minimum viable product is for. Listen to the market and shift based on what your clients are telling you. Don't be so stuck on one thing, the thing you originally created. Great advice. That is, that is really, really good insight, Lauren. What you're saying about comfort zone, um, this I'm going to give a shout out to Larry Weinberg uh, here, who's someone I've been talking to. Hopefully he's going to come on the podcast uh, sooner or later. But uh, in his email signature, he's got a quote from John F. Kennedy, and it's, there are risks and costs to a program of action. 
but they are far less than the long-range risks and costs of comfortable inaction. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a, a good one. And the other thing you said is um, the good thing about these videos or webinars is that it does part of the sales process for you so that the people who book a call are already warm. Mm-hmm. And so Larry is an example of someone who came to me via the podcast. And because he'd already heard these interviews that, you know, that I'm doing, and he already, that's what I find with the podcast or when you do a webinar is people feel comfortable with you and they already yeah. trust you and they feel like they already know you. So it's not like a, you're trying to sell someone cold uh, on your, you know, on, on working with you. So I think it's brilliant. Yeah, it builds, it builds rapport. And also um, it kind of builds this, I wouldn't go as far as to say celebrity, but a little bit. Um, yeah. Even if you're on screen, um, it's kind of like the new age TV, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. when people do see you all the time on different videos, on different webinars and in ads or wherever it is, and then they're actually in front of you, they feel like, oh, I'm speaking to the, the expert now. And that's right. something that I didn't, I didn't realize before, but it is true. It creates a bit more of rapport that when they actually get there, um, I don't need to tell them about my background, about what I've done, because they've seen a lot of that already. Exactly, exactly. I, I just want to emphasize how powerful this is, because how does Lauren Steibing, who's a micro business, really, you know, uh, boutique search firm, win retained executive search against big established, you know, global search businesses. This is a leveler, you know, like you level the playing field through your, uh, your brand, your visibility, your marketing, your podcast, your videos, so that, you know, people have heard of you and you are pitching in the same, you know, with really big uh, companies. I think it's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, and I think for all of our consultants that we hire, you know, that's our unique proposition that we can offer to employees is that, you know, we will help you build your brand, even if you're not an an expert in selling retained executive search. It's hard pitching to vice presidents, presidents, and you really need to be at a certain level. Um, and we really help them build that and, you know, be able to to offer that to clients since we've We've done it already. We've done the the test and learn and understand what works and really just always continuously bringing the right talent in and showing them how to do it as well. Let me ask you this. Um, just occurred to me because um, I've had guests on the show before uh, who are in retained executive search and I talked to them about like hiring, you know, junior, I don't mean junior, but uh, less experienced recruiters and developing them. And um, I remember having this conversation um, with Chris Shadokate, and he's a really successful executive recruiter in the States. Um, And he had a PE background before that, and he was already mature when he started his search business. And he was questioning whether a younger person with less business experience would have the credibility to be able to sell to, you know, and win uh, a, a retained search with someone who's many years their their senior when they don't already have that pedigree. What's your experience of that? Yeah, well, I can only speak from my own experience. I was 26, never had any business development experience, um, went to Mark did his training program and kept building on that. So for me, my experience tells me it can be possible. Um, And we've had other consultants do similar things. I do think you do need to put a lot of training into the junior talent, of course. I mean, they're junior, they're not gonna understand all of the the ways of of how corporates work, how businesses work. Um, But I think, you know, creating that training plan, it does take work, but definitely I think it's possible. I think as well, you need to put a lot of um, work and effort into the recruitment process as well, which a lot of people are like, oh, let's hire three and two will leave. And 
I, I don't hire that way. It's like if you're going to make it in Ellis International, you've already passed through a very, in my opinion, challenging interview process. So I think that's a part of it. Um, and really making sure you're hiring the right type of junior talent. It needs to be someone that's also very focused on quality, someone that's also very focused on understanding their market, becoming an expert. It's not about volume, um, you know, that also wants to go to events, wants to really, as, as we say, like become an expert in that market. Um, and yeah, from my side, if I, what I realized very early on, because I was yeah 26, as I was saying, is that actually I think it came from Danny Cahill. We'll give him a shout out. I was doing his train, like his videos and stuff, and he said that like don't be intimidated by anyone that's more senior than you because you're the one that's on the phone all day, every day, and you know what candidates are available and you know how they react to that client. And even though they have 20 years of experience, they're not recruiters. And for some reason, that small uh, feedback gave me like all the confidence in the world. I was like, he's right. I'm gonna start my own company. I'm gonna you know, sell my service. I, of course, you have to be confident, but at 26, if you're confident and you really believe in that, that really gave me a kind of push to believe I could do it. And it is true. It's like at the end of the day, if they need a sales director in Germany and I'm the best option, then they'll give me a chance. But you need to actually believe that. And I feel that that's one of the biggest blockers. And probably, you know, Mark, from speaking with a lot of recruiters, like they just don't think they can sell retained search. It's not that they can't. It's more their own mindset than anything else. Beautifully said. I couldn't agree more, Lauren. And uh, Danny Cahill is uh, is terrific. And for sure, I think so. What you described is number one: you're hiring, you're putting people through their paces before you hire them. Yeah, and because it has to be the right person. Not everybody is going to be able to do this, but for the right person, um, then it's totally possible. Uh, even if they're selling to people or work, you know, recruiting people who are, you know, much more experienced and much more senior in terms of their job title or years of experience. Um, the second thing you said was they have to have the right training yeah. in place. And that is, you know, massive in terms of setting someone up for success and making sure that they're equipped to, to do the job. They have the skills and the knowledge. Um, and then you also, the third point, which you just made is that by the time you've spoken with, you know, hundreds of candidates, which doesn't take long yeah. right, in our <laughs> business, like a few months, you've already yeah. like that immersion and assuming you're doing other things, you're attending industry events, you're, you have to be a smart and curious person yeah. who absorbs information for sure. And you have to be a, you know, confident communicator but it does not take long before you do know what you're talking about, actually. Yeah. And that you have a better insight on the market than the client does, because by by virtue of you're speaking to, let's say, you know, five people a day, 25 people a week, 100 people a month, you know, you know what's going on in the marketplace and you know how to attract talent, how to qualify, and you're also able to position the client and their opportunity in the right way. So, you know, I think that uh, makes more difference than how many years experience you have. Yeah. Um, and I think the the piece, what you said about curiosity, definitely learning agility, you know, they need to be the type of person, like we, of course, have books of, you know, different recommendations, read this, read this, et cetera. But also, I expect them to go out and find books on their own. So that's the type of person, you know, these things where like, you know, they in the evenings research different things and they research different clients, different business models. It's that like learning agility and curiosity that's going to make someone successful. You know, it's not necessarily their years of experience. And I would say even more with the rapid changes of today. Um, I think it's even more important, both for clients, for our industry, for every industry. It's like you can't only use the knowledge you had before because there are new tools, new ways of working, completely new jobs. I think, yeah, I heard recently, don't quote me on this, I don't know, but basically saying that like in five years, 80% of the jobs, no one knew about them today. 
So that just goes to show you that like the expert today is only the expert by how quickly they learn, if that makes sense. It's not the age old years equals expertise anymore. Right. Absolutely. In fact, um, I've heard the expression, which I thought was a good one, that, you know, someone could have 10 years experience on paper, but really they've got one year's experience repeated 10 times. You know, if someone is not constantly learning and, you know, leveling up their game and, you know, adapting and improving, then, you know, that 10 years doesn't really mean a whole lot. Yeah. True. Fantastic. Lauren, um, are there any, is there anything else that I should have asked you that we've not covered today that you wanted to that you wanted to share? Well, I did want to share, um, you know, that our team is growing here at Ellis International. We have open positions, so if anyone has liked what we've discussed and could see themselves fitting in this type of company and company culture and and ways of of learning and innovating, please reach out to me. Fantastic. And so, well, let's just touch on that, uh, Lauren, briefly. What are your plans for expansion from here? Yeah, so we have um, big plans for our mentoring program. As I said, it's gone very, very well. And I think it's a really great product um, that both mentee, mentor, the companies are are benefiting from. So we're definitely going to be growing out that um, arm of the business called LS Elevate. Um, in terms of LS exec search, you know, we're looking for individuals that want to grow in other areas of CPG and retail, other functions, so supply chain, finance, HR, and really looking for people to come on board and help us set up those other practices within the business. It's interesting. So um, you personally have tended to focus on like the commercial roles, kind of marketing and and sales and that sort of thing. So you're going to keep the vertical market focus on CPG and retail, but you're going to, as you grow the business, you'll add other functions. Yes. Is that correct. the idea? Correct. Fantastic. Okay. Um, Lauren, it's a pleasure speaking to you as always. So thank you very much for making the time for this today. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.